I got up to a six-figure income online working in the slivers of time, but you want to get to more than that, to a quarter million or whatever, then you need those time blocks. So the big question is, how can physical therapists create a successful career earning six figures or more and give patients the care they need without relying on insurance companies for reimbursement? If you want to learn the answers to those questions and more, then you've come to the right place. My name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer, physical therapist, business coach, serial entrepreneur, and author of The Cash PT Blueprint. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, welcome back to The Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. This is your host, Aaron LeBauer, and today my special guest is Craig Ballantyne. If you don't know who Craig is, he's the godfather and he's the world's most disciplined man, and he's also one of my business coaches and He's someone I haven't really talked much about. I try to hold him in my and, back and pocket. Brisket, brisket eating partner. Oh yeah, and he's my brisket and ribeye eating partner. So Craig, thank you for joining the show. I really appreciate you being here. Hey, this is gonna be so much fun, Aaron. That's awesome. So one, I wanna learn a little bit about who you are. I wanna tell everyone like why I brought you on the show. One, you're my one of my business coaches, but I've been reading your book, Unstoppable, How to Get Through Hell, Overcome Anxiety, and Dominate in Business and Life. I yep. gave a copy to all of my mastermind students a couple awesome. weeks ago and I was reading it and I was like, oh, I got to get Craig on the show to share some of this because a lot of people in our business industry have a lot of um, overwhelming anxiety, et cetera. Yeah. So sure. to go back to why you came up, you did, you wrote this book and everything. Can you share just a little bit about how you got into, you were a personal trainer, how you got in from personal training into like business and business coaching. I mean, you know, just the three to five minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually, yeah. I, I've never actually, I, I maybe I've told this once or twice, but I mean, I've done 400 podcasts. So this is a rare story that I'm about to tell. And I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach in the National Hockey League when I was in high school and college. And, you know, when you get to college, there's not like a real clear path to doing that. And so I actually thought about being a physiotherapist for a mm -hmm. while. And I, in Ontario, where I live, you have to go and write like an examination to maybe it was to get into uh, U, U of T, U, University of Toronto, or maybe it was just for all, all universities. Anyways, I was driving there in my mom's car. My mom's car broke down like on the, uh, the main expressway in Toronto. So I was like, I was that guy whose car breaks down in the middle of the road and everybody had to get around it. But it broke down on the way to the exam. So obviously mm -hmm. that was like a sign from the heavens. And it was good because I would have been the worst physiotherapist in the world because I would have been thinking about writing articles about the treatment while I was treating people. And I also really just don't like anatomy. I like physiology, but not anatomy. So I never became a physiotherapist, started writing for Men's Health Magazine, never became a strength and conditioning coach in the National Hockey League, even though I started training pro athletes. And then once I started writing for the magazine, I jumped online sold my first online program on January 28th of 2001. So I've been doing this for a while. And then 2007 had my first business event because so many trainers were coming to me very much like physiotherapists come to you, Aaron, mm -hmm. and say, teach me, teach me, teach me. And so I had my first event, had an amazing group of people there. And that was over 13 years ago. And then the last thing I'll say is that you're in a mastermind with me and Bedros. And Bedros and I, according to my Facebook memories, our first event, between me and Bedros together was exactly 10 years ago this weekend. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Congrats. Yeah. And that's really cool. I remember, and, and you may not know this, I've told this to Bedros is that when I started my practice, I couldn't find any information about how to market my type of 
out of network practice Interesting. through physical therapy. And I ended up on his website looking up PT marketing, right? And I found one of his posts and his post on like search engine optimization in Google, like changed my business. But that, and that was like 12 years ago or something like that or more. And I remember all those stories of him doing this. But I was like, at a certain point, the group training stuff didn't apply to me because I'm doing one-on-one stuff. But yeah. I got back into what you guys were doing from your empire mastermind. Duh. So that's really cool. I mean, like I had this, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I remember hearing about all that a long time ago and that's really cool. Craig, tell me, where did you get the first idea to write a ebook online? Cause I just, you know, I have a lot of people ask me, well, Aaron, how to write a ebook? Does that have to be perfect and all this stuff? And I'm like, eh. but like, where did that idea come from? Cause you did this a long time ago. And how did you think that this was even a great, a good idea that people would want? Okay, so in 1998, when I was still in my undergraduate, I didn't have a computer at home. One of my roommates did. He was an engineer. But all the computers where you use the internet were like in the library. There was eight, there was eight computers in this one room in a giant health sciences library. So like nobody was using the internet back then, hardly. And I was. Like I was always looking for stuff. And so I was always surfing the internet back in 98. And I found... I found this website that maybe you've heard of and maybe all the meatheads, yes, go meathead, uh, that are listening to this. It was called T Nation or yeah. maybe it was called T Muscle back then. You know, it's testosterone.net. It's got like 19 different domains. And I saw them writing articles and I thought, in all my hubris, I thought, well, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. So I started my own email newsletter in 1999 and I was sending it out by Hotmail wow. to 3,000 people. And you can only, you could, you could at the time only send an email to 50 people at a time in Hotmail. Mm-hmm. So it took me 75 minutes to <laughs> manually send out my email. But this is like in 2000 after right. I built it up for a bit. So I still didn't know what I was doing. So two years, I wrote these weekly newsletters. I learned how to write from, I was going from like boring science. So I learned how to write with personality. And then when I started doing stuff from Men's Health Magazine, and also when all of my friends graduated from college, I had all these people asking me to write them programs. And I was writing, the, I was putting together these Word documents. They were mm-hmm. just workout diagrams, not, not diagrams, workout charts and sets and reps and like no photos or anything. And I was like, why am I doing a new one every single night for like, oh, well, this is for Brock because he just you know graduated college and this one's for Jeremy. And it's like, well, they're the same freaking program. Why don't I just write one and start selling it? So mm-hmm. I, I sold my first one through PayPal in January of 2001 for $60. And again, it was a Word document. It wasn't even a PDF. It was a Word document with no photos. No, I don't even know if there was exercise descriptions, but yeah. it was back in the you know Wild West. And so <clears throat> Here's the thing, though, is like in this day and age, nobody really values eBooks. You know, like you get them for 99 cents on Amazon, or you get like everything that's a downloadable report is free. So mm-hmm. that kind of that horse has kind of left the barn. But there's a lot of opportunity to use those in our world, but not to make a whole lot of money on the internet, like I was fortunate enough to do because I was early back in 2001. Yeah, I mean, I know, I think I know like a handful of people who made seven figures just selling downloadable PDFs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know lots of I'm guys. Sure, I'm mean, sure you know more than I do. I, I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those are like all my friends and for years and years and years, that's what we did. Yeah. That's incredible it time. And it's all right. gone. It all. <laughs> Believe me. That led to you, what moving out of like, did you, were you still training clients at that time? 
And I was training clients. This? Yeah. So, so I was training clients up until about 2006 and it was just like every year it was fewer clients, more internet, fewer clients, mm. more internet. And I didn't do it fast enough. I could have done it way faster. Once I hired my first mentor, first business coach, like paid somebody for coaching, yeah. my results were like a hockey stick. Just yeah. like everybody listening, when you get a coach, your results will go through the roof. I was such a stubborn know-it-all. I couldn't set my ego aside and it took me too long. If I, I could have afforded a coach a long time, just like anybody can afford a coach, but mm -hmm. we all think we know it all. And it's like, oh, I don't know what they're going to teach me. <sighs> just get the coach because soon, if I would have got one in 2003, yeah. I would be impacting twice as many, three times as many people. And I've had my YouTube videos have been watched over 15 million times. Wow. Now, if I had gotten started earlier, maybe it'd be 45 million views in my YouTube videos. And think of mm -hmm. all the people that I would have helped and more people listening would have made more money and all that sort of stuff. And, and it was just because I was too cheap, too selfish, too much of a know-it-all to, uh, to get a coach. And, but when I did in 2006, that's when I was also able to stop being a personal trainer. Now, some people might be thinking, well, how do you make the transition? And it was just slowly over time. Like I was, one of the first things I did was no clients Thursday afternoon. A couple of clients moved out of town. I gave a couple other clients to other trainers. I said, you're probably a better fit to work with them. And now I had Thursday afternoon open. Mm -hmm. And I went from doing 30 minutes of work every single day to doing four hours in a row. And it, it is five times more effective to do that than it is to, to try and work in the slivers of time. Yeah. Now, I, I got up to a six-figure income online working in the slivers of time, but you want to get to more than that, to a quarter million or whatever, then you need those time blocks. Yeah. So what you're saying is set aside one full day or big, you know, four or five hour chunks of time where that's all you're working on is this. I, know, I, would, try, I would try and get a couple of mornings mm -hmm. for three to four hours. Yeah then you'll be golden. You know, do a 90-minute block, take a break, another 90-minute block. And if you can do that three days a week, mm -hmm. that's a six-figure business. Like, there's yeah. no excuse not to have a six-figure business there yeah. online. That's awesome. I want to jump back to some of your um, structure and, and regimens that you uh, yeah. talk about. First, I want to ask you, like, well, I have two questions that I want to lead into that. Like, one, why is it so important for you to help other people? Why is it so important for you to figure out and spend all your time figuring out the best way to help millions more people? Like, what is, what is it behind that? Well, because I figured that I've realized recently that if I just try and fill my needs, like, I don't have a lot of needs. Like, I got a lot of money, but I, I don't own a car. I don't own a house. You know, I got a bike. It's got a flat tire. Like, I, I don't, I don't know why. I don't don't have any watches. Somebody gave me a Rolex one time. I gave it away to my brother-in-law. Like, I don't like stuff. So if like, I don't have any motivation, like personally to go mm. and get stuff. So if I need to act, but, but I want to do good things. And so it's like, listen, if the more people you help, the more freedom you will have. Um, I can do anything I want. I know lots of people. I love meeting interesting people. So that drives me to go and do it. And now I've even gone one level higher. And I just, I want to help. I don't know. For some reason I help want to help younger people make a lot of money. So I got a couple mm -hmm. guys who work for me. Like my mission is to make them a lot of money. Now, if they make a lot of money, it's only because they've made me a lot of money, which is great. And I can, you know, put that out to Shriners or whatever, because that's Bedros's charity. And I like to mm -hmm. donate in his name to, to Shriners and that sort of stuff. So I can have more impact, but the more people I make rich, the more yeah. impact I'll have. 
And for a long time, when I was first starting out in coaching, I was, I had too much envy. So it stopped me from being a great coach at first because, you know, I'd see one of my, my clients doing well and I'd be like, Oh, that should be me. And then I get in the bad funk. And then I realized, well, wait a minute. You know, if I make Vince Delmonte, who, you know, from the mastermind, Mm -hmm. if I make Vince a multimillionaire, he's going to tell all his friends that I made him a multimillionaire and he's going to say, wow, I want to help Craig. So he's going to go and make me money. So why would I not make more multimillionaires? Now I've had a couple of multimillionaire clients uh, become not great marketers, like in terms of, you know, very aggressive. And I'm like, oh man, I wish you were not a student of mine, but Mm -hmm. 98 times out of a hundred, they're really great people. And the more wealth I bring to people like you and everybody listening, my life gets better. Yeah. So that's, that's what I do now. Like if I, the more people I help, the easier my life gets. And my yeah, life that, is pretty easy right now. That's awesome. But, so, yeah. but in converse, if you were only trying to help yourself, and it was only about yeah, you. you know, here's it, the thing. Here's the thing. If you're only trying to help yourself, it's like, you know, the old phrase that dogs smell fear, yeah. right? If you're only trying to help yourself, most people are like, that doesn't smell right. And then, and then, Everybody who's just like, I just want to make money for me, 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 go get stuff. Most cases, they end up really frustrated because mm-hmm. they can either never make enough or because that's the motivation, they end up making bad decisions. And it says something to the, you know, the social responsibility of, of great companies today. Like, you know, people are doing analysis of the, you know, the biggest corporations in the world that are also have a, have a bit of a social mission to them are actually more profitable and their stocks are higher than companies that either damage the environment or do not care about the you know equality and wages and that sort of stuff and i know it's like oh whatever but no it actually is like numbers driven and so it's the same with us individually uh you know the more that we are focused on like hey i'm gonna go and add value and i'm gonna build my practice to help the most amount of people rather than i'm gonna go and make money and get rich and if i have to build a big practice to do it mm-hmm. great but i'm gonna just gonna try and find a way to get rich no yeah go the other way and you'll have more results right. it's paradoxical in a way but much more effective yeah here tell me about this this is a, a little interesting almost like twist to it a lot of the people that i speak to and and try to help or you know they want to help people but they've they've set their prices so low that they're even with a lot of patients coming in, they're struggling. And yeah. when we talk, when I we talk call to them it about struggling, stuck and struggling. And yeah. their fear is that if they raise their rates, people aren't, I think they don't, they don't verbalize this, but we know it's like people are going to not like them. They won't be approved by the yeah. patients and that they, but just adding more people into their schedule isn't something that's going to work. They're too busy, too much time, but they're still struggling. And how do we get out of that fear of, charging more and um, actually selling while also still helping being genuine and helping people. Yeah. So it's not that you're bad at sales. It's not that, you know, this, that, or the other thing. It's, it's simply a fear of rejection, Mm -hmm. right? Because if I, if I raise, if I have my lowest prices, then there's, you know, no one says no and my ego doesn't get hurt. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's why you've put yourself in this prison and so many people do put themselves in a prison, a paycheck prison is what I call it, right? You're, you open up a practice and the next thing you know, you're, and this goes really well in the gym world. Like a lot of personal trainers are making decent money working for somebody else or bouncing from home to home. And they think I'm going to go and open a gym. And then what they do is they open a gym and they never really think about all the expenses and they never get over the fear of rejection. So they charge really low. 
And then they pay their trainers pretty well because they don't want their trainers to think they're a bad person. And the next thing you know is that they're making almost no money. Mm-hmm. Their trainers are making a lot of money, even though the, the business itself is doing okay in terms of gross revenue, but the actual profit taken out of the business is very low, all because they don't, they don't want anybody to not like them. And right. now they're, they're hitting the panic button and they, they can't get out of it because they refuse to change because, again, they don't want the rejection. So they're willing to sacrifice their family and their life just so that, you know, kind of, sort of, somewhat, you know, strangers in their life don't say no to them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's the same sort of thing with the physio is, well, you know, if I, if I charge a higher price, they won't say yes and I won't have a client. Well, better to have a, no client than a client who actually costs you money, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, you know, your time, your marketing dollars, the expenses of the place. Like most, most people should actually shut down their business and just go back to what they were doing before. It actually would be less stressful and they'd have the same amount of money and probably more time off. And unless they're going to fix it by getting your help. Right. Yeah. You, know, you, you got to make that decision. But that takes hard work and it takes checking your ego at the door. Yeah, I would say that it takes, it doesn't take any harder work than mm-hmm. what somebody's doing right now. Like, hey, listen, if you got to be a doctor of physiotherapy, you know, you can work hard. And so to become like, let's say a doctor of sales, like get your PhD in sales, it's easier than becoming a PhD in physiotherapy. I can guarantee you that. I can guarantee you that my sales education was exponentially easier Mm -hmm. than my master's degree in exercise physiology. Wow. A hundred percent. And it's because, you know, you know, there's a guy in the mastermind with you, Xander Fryer. He's one of my coaches. The guy is amazing at sales. He makes it so easy to understand. And he Mm -hmm. makes this, it's, it's selling without selling. Like he's a guy you should actually have on your show because he would just blow people's mind with how easy it is to sell people when all you do is ask the right questions. Right. Selling is not about talkity talking and like trying to get one over on somebody. No, it's about you asking the right questions where they go, Oh my gosh, you're the only solution for me. Mm-hmm. And all this other stuff and all these pills, like these are not only they're not helping me, they're bad for me and you can take my pain away. Thank you. You're like an angel. That's yeah. the, your conversation, your sales conversation with people should end up in that situation. And now you, you don't even have to ask. They're like, how do, how do I pay? When do I get started? Right. Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree. It's all about asking the right questions. It's not, it's not me trying to sell you the pen. It's actually finding out if that's what you want, you know, or what, what do you want? Craig, there was a quote in your book that I read, and I'm going to read it, that I was like, Oh man, like big eye-opening piece for me. And I'm going to read it and I'm going to tell you why. And then I want you to talk about it uh, for a second. But you talked about the paradox of freedom. You said the paradox of freedom, being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, leads to a shotgun scattered approach to your days and exacerbates your stress and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. I saw that and I was like, oh, see, my wife and I have had friends who, because they don't own a business, they're employees. In order to move up in life, they have to move to where the better job is, and they move around the country. Wow. When we've wanted to move, it's like, well, what excuse do we have to move? Right. Because the longer we stay where we are, the better it grows, or we have no excuse to move. It's like this paradox. We have the freedom to move anywhere we want, and yet we feel stuck sometimes. You know? Like, and then you said, the par- this paradox puts you in a prison, because it's almost like we feel like st- we're stuck, right? Like, we could move, but, you know, 
I got my dad here. If I left, what would he, there's no excuse for me to move. It's just all my choice. Right. He said, the only way you said, the only way out is to adopt the paradox of structure. So can you talk about, you know, when, like, when did you figure this out? And can you talk about how you figured out how to, well, I figured it out the hard way. I figured it out the hard way because in 2006, when I was able to stop being the personal trainer, I was able to work at home all the time, full time. So I could work whenever I wanted, stop whenever I wanted. I could go out every night. And in Toronto, it's kind of like New York City. You can go out every night. So I tested the theory and it worked uh, until it didn't. And then I had the anxiety attacks. So it's kind of like this. You know, most people listening to this, they probably work out and everybody's gone to the gym or they, maybe they've stayed at a hotel and you don't know what, what equipment is in the hotel and you go into the hotel gym and you just kind of like stand there kind of paralyzed and you're like, well, I could do any of this stuff, but I don't really have my regular workout. And, uh, you know, there, and, and if you, maybe you go to like a gold gym where there's like 9,000 machines and you're mm-hmm. like a meathead like me and you love that. And you're like, uh, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Or you've gone to a buffet, right? You, everybody's gone to a buffet yeah. and you look at the buffet and you're like, Oh my God, I can eat anything here. Where do I start? Well, it's no structure. That's what I hate buffets. Yeah. I hate buffets. I just don't like it because I, and I don't like tapas places. That's what I was thinking. I hate, <laughs> I hate those places because you never know like, okay, if these are all like shareable plates, how many shareable plates am I supposed to eat? Mm-hmm. Whereas if I go to like Morton's, I know, like I, I have my uniform, I get like a fatty steak, I get a baked potato and I get like spinach. I know yeah. that's my meal and I know exactly how much of that I'm supposed to eat. But if I go to a tapas place, I'm like, should I order nine of these or, mm. or you go to a buffet? So it's like, there's too much freedom over in the buffet and there's the right amount of structure when I get to order off the menu. And it's the same with our days. So if it's, if you wake up and everybody's woken up in the morning without knowing what to do and they're like, oh my gosh, I have all this stuff to do. What should I do? And it's paralyzing. Whereas if you wake up and even if you have a lot to do, if it's, this is the most important task, I'm going to sit down and focus on it. This is the next one. I'm going to sit down and focus on it. This is the next one. I'm going to crush it. Oh, I got so much done today. So you have accomplishment with structure and you have activity with freedom. And when you're active, you're just super busy and you're like, where did the day go? I don't know. I never really got anything accomplished. So that's where the structure. Yeah. So is it that you think like all entrepreneurs have some kind of anxiety or they could have it because of this or is it like certain types of people or is it certain types of people are good well, most, are, are good entrepreneurs people, and they most yeah. most entrepreneurs have some type of stress or anxiety obviously very few people are stress-free and it all comes from that entrepreneurial roller coaster ride that we talked mm-hmm. about because you know you could be like man we just got a brand new contract with the corporation down the street they're going to bring in 10 10 team members for, you know, consultations next week. This is amazing. And then 15 minutes later, like the pipe bursts and like your, your studio's flooded. Well, oh man. And now you got to deal with like, oh, we got a class starting in 45 minutes. So we have, you know, our physio clients are coming in in 45 minutes or the air conditioning broke, you know, like that's just, and, and so when there's all these things and you have no structure in place, then that's when everybody gets overwhelmed mm-hmm. and clutter comes into their life. And that is the problem. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, and then most people listening to this, Hey, listen, your spouse, like your spouse is in your business, Aaron, but most yeah. people's spouses are not in the business. And so they don't understand. And they are that person who's either an employee or maybe they're a stay at home parent or whatever it is. 
And you trying to explain like, oh my God, we had this amazing, you know, this corporation came in and they want to use our services. And they're like, great. Can you go get the kids for dinner? Mm -hmm. And you're like, but you don't understand. You don't understand. And then, and then the air conditioning went out. You don't understand. And they don't understand. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm not even going to tell them. And you're just going to keep all your problems bottled up. And then the more you keep things bottled up and the harder you press it down, the greater it explodes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what was the first, like when this was a problem for you, when you first recognized this and you talked about your, you know, like those stress, anxiety, panic attacks, like, yeah, what was the first thing you did to start to remedy the problem? I noticed that I was getting up back then after I was, you know, I went from being a personal trainer. I had to get up at, you know, like four 30 in order to do a little bit of work and then yeah. go and be ready for my first six o'clock client. Well, then I was like, Oh, I get to sleep in as late as I want, but I'm a morning person by nature. And so I was mm -hmm. getting up at seven 30, which people are like, that's not late, but it was to me. And so, and then I was rolling over and checking my phone for email. And those are the, like, that's the stupidest thing you can do is wake yeah. up late and then check your email. And the next thing you know, I felt my morning was gone and I was like, oh my gosh, now I'm like, I got to catch up. And I feel like, I, I feel like just going to ESPN.com and, and giving in. So I realized, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to get up five minutes earlier and I'm going to mm -hmm. wait five minutes longer to check my email. And I had a 10 minute window. And then I didn't, I didn't change again the next day. I waited three more days. And I went five minutes earlier, five minutes later, and then three to five more days, five minutes earlier, five minutes later. Like these, all these people that go from the 7am waking up to the 5am club, it ain't going to last honey, because yeah. it's, it's like telling somebody who's been eating pizza and soda for the last 14 years to, they're only allowed to eat chicken and broccoli. Like, good luck. <laughs> That's not going to work. And so just these little changes started giving me more structure in my life. And also not trying to do 101 things. I, in, my, uh, in my new book, The Perfect Week Formula, mm -hmm. I, we use the, um, this little phrase, like most entrepreneurs are trying to put 10 pounds of potatoes in a five-pound bag with their to-do list, right? Oh, I got 33 things I got to do today. And you get seven done, and a couple of them are awesome, and you feel like a bag of crap because you only got seven out of the 33 done. Right. And you're going to beat yourself up about it all the time. And that's going to lead to more overwhelm, anxiety, anger, frustration, struggling, all that stuff that's just going to blow up eventually. Mm -hmm. So tell us, like, what's your, like, what's your current morning routine? Like, I know you don't have kids, but like, so it might be a little different than mine. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, how do I fit the kids in? I find, I'm figuring it out. But like, what's yours? And then I want to, and then maybe share, like, what's your morning routine for some of your clients that have kids? Like, how do they incorporate that? Because I want to know that. Yeah, you know, an interesting thing about that before I go into the morning routines is that my worst review for my perfect day formula book on Amazon is from a woman with one kid, yeah. married woman with one kid. My best review on Amazon is from a single divorced woman who has three kids, mm -hmm. you know, and so people can go, oh, oh, he doesn't have kids. What he's right. about to say doesn't apply to me. And then I roll my eyes at you yeah. and you're never going to be successful. No. That's yeah. why I bring it up because I'm like, yeah, hey. right, right. So, so listen, here's what I do. I get up. I was getting up at four o'clock. I'm now getting up without an alarm, but because I'm playing around with the aura ring and sleep mm -hmm. patterns and stuff like that. So I don't get up with an alarm right now, but I'm waking up naturally before 430. And then I get up and within 12 minutes, I'm working. 
So I don't do any stuff like any morning routines. My morning routine is working. So I go and I do my first 90 minute block of work. I do a five or 10 minute meditation from YouTube. And then I walk my dog. And right now we're on this long walk in the morning kick. So, you know, I'm back. I'm back from the walk at about 7.30 or 8. And then I have breakfast and I do another block of work. And then around lunchtime, I work out. And then in the afternoon, I do a lot of interviews and calls like this. Mm -hmm. That's my day. It's that simple. And, you know, I don't have some extensive, crazy morning routine that that takes a lot of time because I've seen people have extensive morning routines Mm -hmm. and it's just a perverse form of procrastination. You got three types of journaling you got to do. You got yoga, you got meditation, you got interpretive dance, like you got 19 (laughs) things you're trying to do in the morning. And all of a sudden it's 730 and like, man, I've been up since five and now I got to get ready for work and I'm not prepared. Yeah. It's because you wasted your morning on all this stuff. Like a little bit of stuff is fine but most people don't need it. So over to the parent side of things. I have a CFO client that texts me every day with his wake up time and so on and so forth. So his kids get up at 6.30. He gets up about 4.30 in the morning. He does an hour block of work and then he gets you know, ready for the kids so that he takes some of the stress off his wife who's home with him all day long. Mm-hmm. Then he goes and he provides fractional CFO services to startups and he works from 8.30 till 5.00. And, yeah. you know, so that's what he does. That's his morning routine. Again, yeah. get up, go to work, get up, go to work, get up, go to work. That's where most people should have their morning routines. Yeah. So like get up, work, even if it's at home. Yeah. You know, take care of the, some of the other things that you have to do for the day and then go do some more work. Yeah. Like marketing yeah. or. What's the best type of work to do first thing? You know, numbers, morning? accounting, that sort of stuff, whatever yeah. it is. Is there like a better it's, type of work to the, do? Yeah, it's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing. It's the thing that you would put off, you want to put off, I want to put off, but you have to do it in the morning because you have your greatest discipline, willpower, and intention first thing in the morning. Mm. Scientifically proven. As the day goes on, you lose your willpower. It's like, a, it's like muscle energy. It is depleted over the course of the day. Like running a marathon, you're going to hit the wall, and then the chocolate cake comes out, and you know at 7 o'clock at night when you have no discipline, it's, it's God's funny joke on us. We have the most discipline in the morning when he's not serving us chocolate cake. And then we have the least discipline at seven o'clock at night when the chocolate cake comes up. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So we got to make sure that we are doing the hardest thing first. So what is that? That could be sales. It could be marketing. It could be running the numbers on your business. Mm. Oh, I hate accounting. I don't want to look at the PL. Look at the PL first thing in the morning. Or it could be preparing for staff meetings like, oh, I've got to meet with my you know, top uh, physiotherapist and I have to you know, have a hard discussion with one of them. I need to prepare for that. Or maybe it's doing a pres- uh, you got a lunch and learn presentation in front of a big company. Well, you're going to make sure that you practice that at that time of day and also you know, maybe do the slides or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's the way that you put that together. And, it's, and that time of day is the most important thing. If you want to write a book, that's the time of day you write the book. Because again, uh, I don't need to write the book today. It can wait till tomorrow. And the next thing you know, four years have gone by and you haven't written your book. So yeah. that's another thing you need to do at that time. Yeah, that, that's awesome. You know, it's interesting because the time that's been the busiest and most requested for patients from us are, you know, two, three, four, five, and six. So, you know, sometimes 8 a.m., but like as a, as a physio owner, physical therapy owner, I could spend the first three hours of every day doing some of these things, marketing, business development, et cetera. And then all the patients I need in the afternoon and still see plenty of people. Yeah. So 
just if you're waking up naturally at 4.30, obviously you're not going to bed at 11 p.m. You know, so no. what's your evening routine, which might be as important as the morning? Just shut off all the electronics as early as possible. So it's anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes before bed. Mm -hmm. And then I, I read a lot. Sometimes I'll take the dog for a walk at, uh, you know, eight o'clock at night and then usually sleep by nine o'clock. Yeah. Wow. What are you reading these days, Greg? What are you learning? I am reading two very large books about World War II. So Eisenhower is the mm -hmm. first one. Because I was thinking, like, how the heck do people plan D-Day? And so I'm into uh, that book. And I mean, you want to see entrepreneurial roller coaster. I mean, this guy, everybody thought he was a loser. He, he never had any combat experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was in a dead-end job till about 47. And, and then World War II obviously started happening. So he got put into this position. He failed at most of the things that he did, you know, the first landings that they did in North Africa, mm -hmm. all this stuff. He, everybody thought he was going to get fired. He thought he was going to get fired. And this is perfect because this is like such a great analogy to every business person. Every business person thinks, oh my gosh, I'm the only person that, that has struggles. I'm the only person that had an employee, you know, steal some clients, you know, oh my God. I, you know. And, and the people that, that hit the panic button like that and are not emotional resilient, they're never going to be a very successful business owner. So yeah. just understand like all the people that you see uh, that are famous today or that were famous years ago, man, they had it as hard, if not harder than you. And they went through a lot of, a lot of troubles. And so on the, you know, I'm also reading a book about Patton mm -hmm. and you know, that guy, he was 50, he was 55 and in a dead end career before wow. world war two started. I mean, these guys, and this is back, Interesting stat, the United States Army was ranked 17th in the world before World War II. Wow. Yeah, 17th. You guys were like not even in, in like the pros. You guys were minor league. That's crazy. Yeah. And uh, Well, and where so was Canada? Guys, <laughs> well, I bet you Canada was ahead because Canada was in World War II and, and Canada fought in World War I for a long, long time. So right. they were probably ahead because America didn't have a lot of combat experience from World War I. Right. And, you know, now we're probably 114th in the world, which is totally fine, but, you know, whatever. And so, so the thing is, like, these guys should have quit the army because they were getting, they didn't work, make, they were making no money. Mm. Nobody liked the army back then. Everybody was making money in the 20s. And then in the 30s, when the depression hit, they were okay because they actually had a job, but they were dead in jobs. So anyways, I'm reading those things, but everybody else should read. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the story of Nike. That guy was broke for 18 years, for the oh, first yeah. 18 years of building Nike. He was doing business with the Japanese in 1962. There was no email, no fax. Uh, there was phone and airplane. That's how he did right. all his business. There was no LinkedIn, nothing. And remember, this is only 17 years after the Japanese were trying to kill all the Americans. Yeah. So think about hard, how hard that business was. And everybody only sees Nike now, but realize that this guy was committed to something. Right. He was committed he, to get, yeah. I read that too. And he would send a telegram and two months later, he'd be like, I don't think they got it. I need to get on a plane and fly there. How crazy is that? <laughs> and then the shoes would show up and they were the wrong shoes. So he would order these shoes and they would send him like the wrong sizes, right. the wrong design. Like, like I, can't even, I can't even last until 11 o'clock in the morning with like, I'm waiting on an email and someone hasn't gotten back to me yet. Like, right. I'm, I'm like punching my computer. I, like, I need to read more <sighs> books like that. So, so that's a good book. How to Be a Great Boss is a great mm -hmm. book by Gino, Wick, Gino Wickman. I've read a lot of books this year. 
that's another good one. Another, like on the woo-woo side of yeah. dealing with your emotions and being an entrepreneur is Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. So those books, if you're like, man, I got I to gotta calm my mind, uh, yeah. those would be good. The Tao Te Ching is good on that. And then The Art of Living by Sharon LaBelle, which is a translation of Epictetus's uh, Stoic teachings are also very good. So that's like, that's my Bible is that. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So for someone who's like in that overwhelmed stage, whether they're starting their business or trying to double it or get to the next level, or they've just got so deep where they're all, they're so busy and like, I don't know what to do next. What is the number one thing or like your best advice to someone or the number one, one or two things that they need to start doing to take themselves out of that place where They've got too many choices, too much options. They're like, I don't do next. I don't know who to trust next. I can't trust myself. You know? Yeah. Like what's well on the physical yeah. side, learn how to breathe properly. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. if you aren't doing yoga or meditation or Tai Chi or something where you learn how to breathe properly and activate your parasympathetic nervous system and slow down your sympathetic nervous system, that's huge on the physical side of things. So just yeah. do that. And you know, if you can't sleep at night because your mind is racing, do a four-second inhale, seven-second hold eight second exhale, go through about four cycles of that. And you probably won't even get through three. That'd mm-hmm. be very helpful. Okay. Yeah. Now on the, on the unclutter your mind side of things, 15 minutes in the morning. So if, if get up 15 minutes before everybody else in your house. So if they're getting mm-hmm. up at six 30, get up at six 15, go down to your kitchen table with pen and paper and just unload everything in your brain, unload yeah. it, you know, get it all out and then start to organize things. And start to cross off things and say, we can't do those. We just, those just do not fit in the plan. And then from there, start to delegate, start to stop holding on to all the things, start learning how to trust other people, give them a small amount of tasks, show them that they got it done, coach them how to do it properly, give them good feedback. If they messed up, say, Hey, let's sit down and go through this. Hey, you could have done a little next time. Let's do it like this. Let them do it again. And the more that you can delegate stuff like that, you'd be better off. So yeah. with those things in place and then having a great vision for your business is always very helpful. So with those, starting to have those things in place, you will just go, okay, all right, much better. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and read the- my book on Stop. <laughs> right, yeah. It goes through all that stuff in like 9,000 more uh, levels okay. of depth. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put a link to your book in the show notes. And you've also got the, is it like the perfect day or the perfect week book? That's I got the perfect day formula, which came out first. I have unstoppable, which came out second. And then the perfect week formula is coming out Mm -hmm. very soon. Okay, awesome. Um, Craig, before we go, I got just a couple more questions for you. What's Mm -hmm. the one thing that you're that you've done in your life that you're the most proud of? I would say writing that first book, The Perfect Day Formula, yeah. it was, you know, I've, I could have just shut it down then, you know, like that, that message, it needed to be refined in the perfect week formula and stuff like that. But that message was probably like the most important message I could share with the world. It helped so many people on so many levels from CEOs of billion dollar companies to moms of three who are, mm-hmm. you know, a single mom. And so that thing done. Wow, that's awesome. Is there a question that I failed to ask you that you think would be valuable for our viewers? I would say that, yes, something about like the long-term perspective. So when you're, thin- mm-hmm. when you're sitting in your rocking chair at age 90, you know, everybody listening, when you're sitting in your rocking chair at age 90, what, what's really going to matter? And mm-hmm. does that dictate what we do today? Yeah. 
That's awesome. And I, I could answer it, but I think everybody knows the answer. Yeah. And, and the answer is that money and stuff doesn't matter. Money, you will not sit there and think about, man, that was awesome. I had 19 watches. Right. Or also, you will not sit there and think, I watched every episode of Game of Thrones twice, yo. Like, no one's going to sit there and think that. And so if you realize, like, I am not going to care about all of these stupid HBO shows right now that everybody's watching and that I've, I've got FOMO because I don't watch them or whatever it is, none of that's going to matter. What's mm -hmm. going to matter? And then design your life around that. And the answer is people and experiences are going to matter the most. Now, it's great to have a little bit of money to have some neat experiences, but at the end of the day, you don't need a lot of money. There's a lot of people who have great lives, who have great people and great experiences in their lives who don't have a lot of money. So it's not a money thing. It's a people and experiences thing. Right. And uh, the thing is, like, if you go and help a lot of people, you'll meet a lot of great people and you'll have a lot of great experiences. And by side effect, a side effect is you will have a lot of money and you can have some stuff if you want. Yeah. Wow, man. That's awesome. You know, Craig, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and uh, having you share this with our listeners. Um, yeah, no so, problem, dude. Man, appreciate it. If someone wants to find out more about you, uh, where can they go online, uh, whether it's website, Instagram, somewhere else to find out? Yeah, they, could probably, they could probably come to my house. They would probably find a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, no, uh, Instagram, Real Craig Ballantyne on Instagram. Or they can email me. I like email. I don't get a lot of email, surprisingly, even though I give my email address out on all my podcasts. Uh, yeah. Craig at godfather.com. Send me a question. Let me know how I can help and let me know what you thought of the books and give me a review on Amazon. Well, man, thank you so much. Well, for the Cash BG Lunch Hour, this is Aaron and uh, Craig Valentine, the godfather and the world's most disciplined man, and my uh, brisket and rib eating partner. We'll see you guys on the next show. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this show or got anything out of it, please like take a screenshot if of the you show. got anything out of it. <laughs> well, that's a redundant question. You've clearly got something out of this show, so it would be great if you could share this show with other people and let them know how to come find Craig and get some wisdom on and help them get out of this overwhelm, out of the ego, and really just crush it to help more people. Tag us both and um, I'll definitely shout you out. So appreciate it. We'll see you on the next show. Thanks. Hey, what's up? It's Aaron. Real quick, if you're just starting a cash-based physical therapy practice or you already have one and you wanna learn how to grow it and scale it, this is for you. I just released my brand new book, The Cash PT Blueprint. Because I wanna get this book in the hands of every physical therapist out there. I wanna give it away to you for free. All I ask is that you pay a little bit of shipping and handling and you'll not only get the steps to create your own cash practice, but the tools to grow it and scale it beyond what everyone else thinks is possible. To snag your copy right now, go to cashptblueprintbook.com. That's C-A-S-H-P-T-B-L-U-E-P-R-I-N-T-B-O-O-K.com. And we get your copy, give me a shout out somewhere on social media, and we'll talk to you soon.